That's excellent. That's, so I probably don't need to say much more. But the point being is today we're talking about the spread of the church. The church spreads because people who love Jesus are willing to tell others, are willing to be a part of letting that good news go to others. And, and so the, in Acts 1, we're going to talk about how the church spread. It started with 120 people after the resurrection. And now, this was in 2015 numbers, the numbers have spread to 2.2 billion would be under the label of Christian, you know, however that, that works out. So the church has spread, and the, that spread began in the, the gospel of Acts. So we're going to think about that. First, first thing I want to do is look closely at this message by Paul when he got a chance to tell the story, the gospel, to the people in Athens. And we're going to see how Paul approaches that open door to speak with them. Then I want to talk briefly about the larger story in the book of Acts that chronicles how the church spread from that 120 and began spreading after the resurrection. And then we're just going to close by talking about how do we do that today? Like what, what, what does that look like? How do we play a part in seeing the continued spread of the church? So Paul was in Athens. He was on this, this trip where he's looking for opportunities to, to, to spread the church. He, he's on a mission trip, effectively. And he gets to Athens, and he kind of looks around. So I'm going to look at a few verses right before a passage that, that won't be on the screen or anything. But it says, Paul, in verse 16, Paul was in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he goes to this great city known for philosophy, you got Socrates, you got Plato, it's, it's known as the birthplace of democracy. This is a place for, for thinkers, for, for the wise men. And yet he sees in the city temple after temple to all these gods. And you, you see in Athens, they were so open-minded. I mean, they already had the, the Greek mythic gods, but then when they encountered other cultures, they said, ah, we can add a God for them too. And so they just built more and more temples to all these gods, these, these other, they just add them to the pantheon. And Paul's like, how could they understand about Jesus, the son of God, when they, they can't understand that there's only one God? Like, how do I approach this? And so Paul was, it says he was distressed. And he begins talking with people. He starts in the synagogue talking with, with Jewish, um, the Jews in the city, as well as those Greeks who had kind of been persuaded by the Jews, there's only one God. So he starts there, but he ends up in conversations with some of the Greek philosophers. It talks about how there's, he talks with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and he began to debate with them. And, and so he gets in this conversation with kind of the, the smart people in, in Athens, you know, the, the thinkers, and they're debating, and they say, what is this babbler talking about? You know, what's he, what's he trying to say? And so they, they said, they're very open-minded. They said, hey, why don't you come to our place and, and give your spiel, right? So, so what an open door. He gets to go to the Areopagus, which is, was like where a lot of the great decisions of Athens happened. It was where like their debating center. So he gets to go there. This is, this is also known as Mars Hill. So Ares is the Greek god of war in, in Greek 
Mars is the Roman version. So it's sometimes called Mars Hill. So you see, even the, the place where they're meeting is given the name of the, the mythic gods. And so, so but, Paul, but it's an open door. So Paul goes, and, and it's there. He comes to this, this thing, and I think it's a brilliant way to, 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 to get started. He starts by saying, men of Athens, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious or another exceptionally devout, right? I was, I was walking around your city, and I saw how you have temples for all these gods and how you don't want, you don't want to miss, if there's a god out there, you don't want to miss him. So you make sure they get included in your, your reverence. You have such a reverence for divine things. You don't want to miss out on something. In fact, you even have a temple um, where the inscription says, to an unknown God, right? Because you don't want to miss out. Well, let me tell you about one God you've missed so far. Let me fill you in on something you're ignorant about um, that you don't know about yet. And so that's the opening he has. Note how he doesn't slam them for how, how little they know. He doesn't berate them for their, their worshiping demons and going to the, the you know, you're going to end up in the fires of hell. He takes their hunger for divine things and, and uses that as a springboard to tell them about the true God that they need to know about. I think that's, that's maybe a clue on how we can approach our culture. We can, we can look at how f- false they are or we could see in what their, our culture does and says, where does that show a hunger for God? And how can we help them see that the things that they are believing in, the things that they are giving their life to, won't really satisfy? But that as, as Dana was talking about, Jesus is the one you've really been looking for. Let me tell you about him. So it's that starting point that Paul has in this message. And then... He begins in verse 24 to, to kind of talk about the God that he's representing. It says, the God I'm here talking about is the one who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in these temples. So, so you, you don't have a temple to the God I'm talking about today. And, and he's different than these gods that you tend to worship, Right? The gods of the, the Greek myths, I don't know if you know your Greek mythology. I always find that an interesting topic to compare. But they had zones of authority, right? You had the god of the sea, you have the god of war, the god of love. The god I talk about, it made the whole earth and the, whole, and the heavens and the earth. And, and he doesn't just have one zone that he's in charge of. He's in charge of everything because he made it all. And, and moreover... Um, that this God, he's Lord of heaven and earth, right? He's, he's, he's not subject to the fates. So even the Greek mythic gods, they, they did not have absolute authority. They themselves were subject to other powers, mysterious powers of chaos and the fates. And they didn't create. They, they kind of emerged out of creation. So this God is completely different. He made everything. He goes on to say he, he doesn't, he doesn't live in temples made by human hands, and he does not need to be served by human hands. In fact, in contrast, see, and, and 
Greek religion, right? You, you build a temple so they'd have a place to live, and then you needed to bring offerings, else lest the gods go hungry. That, that was part of the mythology. It says, God's not like that, right? He doesn't, he doesn't need what you could do for him, what we could do for him. He is self-sufficient. In fact, he's the one that gave to us. He gave us life and breath, and he gave us everything that we have. That's, that's what this God is like that I'm talking about today. And so he's making this positive case for believing in a one almighty God. Now, if you compare Paul's message, I'll come back to it in a second. If you compare Paul's message to other messages, like by Peter at times, it's completely different because a lot of times in other, other parts of the Bible, they're speaking to those the, the, the Jewish background, right? Who already believe that there's only one God. And so that's established. And so when Peter speaks to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem, he doesn't start the way Paul does. He says, hey, let's remember how God has done this and this and this in our past, and now Jesus is the Messiah. Paul can't do that. He's got to take a step back and say, let me, let me make the case that there is only one God. And now let me move on to tell you what that God is like. He has to, to do that. We got to think about in our culture, as we share the good news, and I think you could say at one point, America was a very Christian, Christian-y nation at least. I don't think they're, it's not so much a Christian nation because there cannot be so much one, but, but it's definitely a nation where people knew the Bible, they knew about God, they, they, many would be Christians. And so you had that starting point of people generally believed in God, right? And so all you had to do is say, hey, by the way, the God you worship, you can find forgiveness and grace and salvation. And, and so preaching, in a sense, was aimed at that. I think increasingly we're going to see within our culture that we've got to step back and make the case for God and that there is one God and that that God is good. In other words, we've got we to we think through the message and we, in order to, to, to help our culture understand why, why they do need to tune into Jesus why they need to hear from them. So, back, back to Paul's message. In verse 26, so he talked about God as creator. In verse 26, he switched to God as one who acts in history. It says, From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and history and boundaries of their lands. So God has been active in the history of all peoples not just the, the, the Jewish people. And he's marked out the times in history. He's the one that set where, which, which nations ended up where they're at. And he did this for a reason. Here's what Paul says, that they, might, they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. When I was looking at this in the, the Greek language, it's, it says that, that, that reach out is like the idea of groping. That they would possibly, like if you were blind or it's really dark, you might grope in the dark. That's the image Paul is giving because, you know, God wanted people to find him, but they were groping in the dark about something they, they did not know or understand. The nations were in the dark. The mystery had been hidden in ages past. And so think about Athens. It is a place where the philosophers and wise men tried to figure out divine spiritual things on their own. And they came up with some 
some wisdom within that. But they could not get there. And where do they end up? Temple after temple after temple to all these gods, right? They could not get to where God was at. And so they, they but God's not hiding. In fact, it says um, God did this so that they would seek him, perhaps, perhaps reach out for him, though he is not far from us. God's not trying to hide from people. He is near. And so though people were unaware and they, they weren't getting there, God has always been near to them. And, and then Paul does something interesting. He quotes Greek poets and, and thinkers, right? So the next two quotes are coming from things that Greeks... In other words, he uses their own poets as evidence for what he's saying. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being... Um, and then another place where it talks about we are his offspring. So, so Paul is, is highlighting the fact that God is nearby. And, and he's really referencing, so he talked about God as creator, God the Father. Now he's talking about the Spirit. God is near to us. In him we live and move and have our being. Then in verse 29, he makes this other argument. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. So I, I saw this differently when I dug in a little bit. So the, the phrase, we are his offspring. Um, so we're made by God. You know, if God made us and he gave us life, we, are, we come from him. And so we're getting this picture of God as creator, but, but he's arguing even more than that. The word for offspring is also the word genos, genos, right? It's the same word that we would use for genre, type, right? Or, or genus, if you're in biology, you have species and genus. In other words, it's, it's saying we are the same type as God in, in a way. We're of the same type. So, so we should not think God is made of gold or silver, or stone, because we're not sculptures. Like, if we were a sculpture, then that would make sense that these temples with these, these, these big sculptures might be like God. But no, that's not who we are. We are his offspring. Therefore, God, God would be different. And so once again, he's saying the whole pagan system that you've been operating under, filled with these man-made images, how does it make sense that the God who made us would be like that. Okay? And so, verse 30, he, he starts to bring it home. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, just, just to say, I don't think Paul's trying to be insulting here. You know, in our, in our language, ignorance, you know, that's kind of a, oh, you're such an ignorant like, that's negative. It just means what they don't know. And then when it says he commands people to repent, for us, oftentimes that means feel bad about things you've done because you're a really bad person. The word in Greek is simple. It's just change your thinking. It's, it's meta, noia. Meta is change. Noia is thoughts, thinking. So change your thinking. God is calling people to think new, newly about this. Change your thinking because he set a day when he's going he's gonna to bring it all to a head. He set a day when he will judge the world. 
when, when people have to answer for all the stuff he's done. God's been patient. He's overlooked, and he's willing to overlook all that past things you've done. But now's the time when, when God wants you to know him and to know the truth about him. So here's the opportunity you have to, to, to get things set. It's understandable in the past you worship such idols because you were groping in the dark for things you don't understand, but now the situation has changed, and God wants you to, to, to make that decision. And then he begins to talk about the one man. You see, God has made it so that through one man, our, our response to him is how we'll know the truth. And so Paul had said, through one man, he is appointed to, to be the one through, through whom judgment comes, and God has given a proof of that. He's given us a reason to believe that this one man is the one through whom we can know what God is like. And how, what's that proof? That man was raised from the dead. Only now does Paul really get to the, to the nub of it. He, he, it was all set up to say, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's how we know we need to, de- we need to do business with him. That's how we know he was from God. And it's at that point, um, the message ends. Uh, and we see that people were responding in different ways. And I'm sure there was more discussion and all that. But the responses were, were twofold. One is some people, the general response was skepticism. <laughs> Raised from the dead. Yeah, right. That doesn't happen. We're too smart to believe in that. Right? They sneered. What a great word. Sneered at him. They mocked him. Paul was, Paul was willing to go there and be sneered at. Right? R- sharing your faith with people who don't believe is risky. You might get made fun of. Paul was willing to do that. He was sneered at. And yet, some wanted to hear more. Right? And then some says, we, we want to hear you more about this. Right? We're, we're not sure we believe yet. But we need to hear more. We want to understand where you're going. Something was happening in the the hearts of at least a few. And that's what I'm going to argue today is what was doing God's Holy Spirit was at work. So even though the general response was rejection, there was a few. In fact, it gives us two names. Damaris, a woman, and Dionysius. um, In fact, one of the philosophers, a member of the Areopagus. And those two come, become believers. Note that Dionysius is named after one of the Greek gods, Dionysus. So he's, um, so he had, I don't know if he had to change his name, you know, once he became a believer. But, but two people um, are named as, as coming to believe. The, God, the, the book of Acts tells that story of how the church spread from the 120 all the way and it tells how it spread into the Mediterranean world, the, the Roman Empire, specifically up into the Greek-speaking territories in what would be Asia Minor and Greece proper. Um, ideally, I wish we had more than just Acts. So we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each tell the story of Jesus from a different perspective. Only Luke wrote a follow-up to the Gospels. He wrote the story of what happened after the resurrection. I wish we had four 
books of Acts, right? Because we know the gospel, the message of Jesus went more than just up into the northern Mediterranean. It also went west to eat. Egypt became a, a center of early Christianity. We know the gospel went there. We know the gospel went east to Syria and Babylonia and, and those areas. We know the gospel went south to Arabia and, and those. So we just don't have the story of that. So God says you only get one story of the spread of the church. And so Acts is how we know kind of what happened afterwards. And it, the key verse of Acts is one, verse one eight, chapter 1-8. And that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's talking about how it's going to begin in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified. That's where the resurrection took place. That's where the early church planted themselves. Right? They were in Jerusalem. It would spread to Judea which is the region, the state around um, Jerusalem. And then to Samaria, the next door region that Jews and Samaritans weren't always on good terms with each other. It would, it would go there and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. So it's, it's telling what Acts is going to tell you about, but, but it's saying more than that. It's saying that the driving force behind the spread of the church is going to be the Holy Spirit. Not human ingenuity, not some great strategy or effort by, by the church. It's going to be the Holy Spirit within spurring people on us. That will be the driving force that leads to the spread of the church. So that's Acts 1.8. As I said before, Acts in verse 15, it numbers that in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. It says a company of persons was in all about 120. And so Peter is kind of the early leader. We see that. It's a close-knit community of primarily Galilean Jews. Remember, Jesus came from Galilee with his disciples. So that's, that's up north. I should have put a map up, I realize. Um, so that's up to the north. They're staying in Jerusalem because that's where they feel like God wants them to be. So that means they're kind of, they're, they're not like where their homes are built. They're, they're living away from home in Jerusalem, and, and the early church would start there. And then in Acts 2, God pours out the Holy Spirit on men and women on Pentecost Sunday. And that's oftentimes something we talk about in the church. But, but, but all those who are followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit and that God gives two signs that this is going to change everything. One is tongues of fire. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it would be like, like, like lighting a match in a dry forest. It's going to start a forest fire that will spread throughout the world. The other sign is that they, the believers start speaking in multiple languages. And in fact, there are people who speak those languages that, that hear and are added to the church that day. But that's a sign that the message of Jesus is not going to just stay in Jerusalem. It's going to go to the ends of the earth so that people of all languages could one day hear the, hear the message. Initially, believers in Christ felt compelled to stay in Jerusalem. In fact, they met at the, the temple there. In the temple courtyard was their, their meeting place. Not that they worshipped there, but they just used that as a, as a large 
because it grew into the thousands rather quickly, and that was a large space. So they would meet in the temple, and then they would meet at homes to do more teaching and, and other things and, and, and fellowship together. And, and so they were so much doing that, like they needed something to spur them to go on. And what would God use to do that? All right, I didn't put this on the screen. Acts 8.1, and I have the word on it, that gives you the answer, but let me read the verse. And it says, well, in Acts 7, the first martyr happens, martyrdom happens. Stephen is, is stoned to death as a Christian. And then it says, and they approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So on their own, they probably would have just kept staying in Jerusalem. They have to be sent out. And how does God send them out? Okay, I'm going to make it very uncomfortable to be a Christian in Jerusalem so that you go other places. So to fulfill what Acts 1.8 says, it required that the Christians face hardship and persecution. And that's when they start going out to, to other places. And, and in Acts 9, it talks about how it starts to get to um, Samaria. Or no, that's, not, that's, that's later. Somewhere it talks about how, how the gospel starts to go, oh, later in 8, goes to Samaria. And then in Acts 10, Peter comes to a realization. Because they, they still don't get it. The, this is why it couldn't rely on human ingenuity, right? They still don't get that the message of Jesus is not just for them as Jews. They're still reticent to, to, to spread the word. And so God has to engineer it. He sends Peter to a Roman soldier and, and has Peter share the message with him. And it says, the Holy Spirit falls on the, this, this Roman soldier and all his family's household. Right? God, through the Spirit, has to engineer it because they would have not done it on their own. And it, it says... When Peter saw this, it says he opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Finally, the light goes off for Peter, the leader of the church. Like, oh, they're allowed to become Christians? Who knew? You know, you know it didn't matter that Jesus had kept saying it. Like, they just couldn't get it. And so... All right, you, you know, I'm going to make this happen. So, so God makes it happen in Acts chapter 10. And then the church starts to hear about more of it. But they're still not like, now they know it's possible, but they're still not doing it. So in Acts 11, it says this. It says, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Here, here's the key phrase. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. Oh, we, we better not tell them. Like, and so it says, but there were some, finally someone must figure it out. It says there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That's the Greeks, Greek-speaking people. To the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They found out when they started telling these Greek-speaking peoples about Jesus, they actually believed it. Like, oh, they wanted in. And so the church starts to grow, and they finally start to get it in their heads. They are allowed, in fact, more than allowed, they're supposed to 
tell others, include them in the message of Jesus, the one who came to save us. And then one more thing happens in Acts 13. I know I'm belaboring this point, but I think it's, just, it's when you read it, it's like, wow, how could they not see that you're supposed to, to, to share the news? Then in Acts 13, it says, um, in Antioch, where they started to tell the Greeks, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, who's driving this? It's God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So Saul, one who at one point was actually persecuting the church, now is a believer, and God says, send these two out, Barnabas and Saul. Saul later takes on the name Paul, because that's a Greek-sounding name. So Barnabas and Paul begin to take the message of Jesus and go from city to city to city, including Athens. That's how we get to our passage today. That's the rest of Acts, is how that message starts to spread into this Mediterranean world. I want to talk a bit about the Holy Spirit because I'm convinced of this. The Holy Spirit is the driving force behind the spread of the church. And I'm going to grab my chair. So let's talk about this. So oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's in the Bible, is that we think of the Holy Spirit as, and rightfully so, the indwelling presence of God in our life. Right? The Holy Spirit is, is God living within us. It's how we, how we have God's peace. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, he lives with you and will be in you. When we say Christ lives in me, it's through the Holy Spirit that that's, that's, that's true. The Holy Spirit is with us and, and all the blessings of our faith come through that spirit at work within us. It's how we know, even in our darkest moments, God is with us and he will not let me go. So the Holy Spirit is for us, and it's, it's, it's a huge benefit. But, but here's where I want to go. The Holy Spirit is not just for our benefit, right? The Holy Spirit is not just for us. It's not just so that our life can go better. The Holy Spirit will spur us to bear witness to Jesus, If Christ is living in you, it will spur you in your life to take the message and let other people know. We're not allowed to keep it for ourselves. We're called to to bear that message to people in need, to people that need to know. And it's not always easy, but that doesn't change the fact that that we can't. And so the Spirit will will do several. So I want to talk about what will the Spirit do um, and how does that? How does he spur us? Well, one is he will open our eyes to see people in different ways, right? So often it's easy to see people the way the world does. You measure them by the value that they have for, for you or for this world, right? That person can help me move up the ladder. That person is contributing to society. Well, that person, they're not worth anything, right? That's how the world measures people. But when the Holy Spirit lives in us, we will start to see people in different ways. Uh, let me tell a quick story just to highlight this. So when, I, when the, my girls were younger, they, they had a program, and then I, I had Ben with me. 
And so while we were waiting for them to finish this, him and I went to a playground and we were just, he was just swinging and we, we see a woman there with a dog and start talking to her. And, um, and so I quickly realize that the woman just, I could tell by her, her speech that she has a, she had a learning disability, a mild learning disability. And we had a talk and then she talks about how she, um, you know, is newly living on her own and, and then she talked about how she went to, used to go to church and different things like that. And then she, she turns to me and says, well, what church do you go to? And I'm like, I didn't say anything about church. Um, and I'm like, man, do I have, like, pastor, you know, like, like tattooed on my forehead? What's going on? And, and I, well, I just go with it, and I tell her, and I ask more about her church and her faith, and, and she goes on with that. And, and before we were done, I said, can I ask you a question? What made you think I go to church? I'm like, why did you ask that? How did you know? This is, well, the only people that talk to me are church people. The world didn't see and value her. Only those who had the eyes of, of, of Jesus did. Sorry. All right. The Holy Spirit will open our eyes to op- in the same way the Holy Spirit will open our hearts. Right? It, it'll give us compassion for people who are, are dealing with tough stuff. Compassion for, for the poor. Compassion for immigrants. Compassion. You know, the world has very little of that anymore. It'll give us compassion for those the world only sees as problems. The, the Holy Spirit will, will, will spur our feet to go into uncomfortable places. I don't like to go to uncomfortable places. I, I like to go where, 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 where I kind of know what's going to happen and I feel like, all right. Like, but, but if you let the Holy Spirit in your life, it's dangerous. He will lead you out of your comfort zone. He'll put it on your heart and you'll have to go. Right? If you're, if you're letting the Spirit lead you, He'll lead you. Sometimes you've got to go and there's anxiety and you've got to work through it. Because he wants you to go. He wants you to build relationships with people and get to know them and be accessible to them. And so sometimes that means going in a place where you're, you're not sure what's, you know, if anyone's going to be nice to you. But you go anyways because you know God loves you and it doesn't matter how they treat you. Your confidence comes from him. The Holy Spirit will, will give us ears to hear. Notice how Paul, before he started preaching, he, he paid attention to what they were into. He listened. Right? I think one of the best ways to be able to know what to, to share with non-believers is to do a lot of good listening first. Find out what they're struggling with. Find out where their, their attitudes are at. Get a sense of... Because of, otherwise, we might be preaching things that, that aren't really relevant to them, and, and we, won't get a, we won't get a response. We've got to listen and listen first. So the Holy Spirit will open our ears. Talks about how we are to be slow to speak and slow to become angry, but quick to listen as believers in Christ. Um, The Holy Spirit will open doors for sharing our faith. In fact, Paul Paul at one point um, tells people in in a letter to, to pray exactly for that. Let me read the verse. Colossians 4. It says, at the same time, pray also for us 
that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Right? God will open doors. And then we need the Spirit to give us the courage to walk through them. Because, to, to, we, we, you know, to, to, to whatever it is in that time, to have that conversation, to, to, to gently, maybe graciously, in that same passage, Paul says, um, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, towards when you have these opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. So you you want to walk through the door, but you also want to do it with the grace of Jesus Christ. The attitude that you bear matters a lot. And then one more thing that the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit will open our mouths and give us the right words. I don't know about you, I go into these things, and I don't always know what to say. I often don't know what to say. And I'm a pastor. I'm paid to do it. So I can imagine for, for many people, you're like, the one thing that holds you back is like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how to answer that. You're, you're wary. You're fearful of, of what you would say if they ask questions or even where to start. Um, and that's, that's understandable. And in some ways, it's good to study and to think about how, how can I answer questions But at the same time, Jesus told his disciples, I don't want you to worry too much about what you're going to say in those situations. Trust that the Holy Spirit can give you the words that you need in that time. Friends, I'm convinced the only way the church is going to spread is if we we dare tell the story of Jesus. And secondly, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is this driving force. And if he's in our life, he, he wants to drive us to be able to, to communicate the good news of Jesus to people out there. Let's sing.